welcome to Warp Zone, a podcast on sci-fi, philosophy, religion, politics, gaming, and anything else. Taboo. Taboo. We are in the red room of the Fisher Library. Let me just close that door that doesn't close properly. Yep. We were visited by a moth before. Yeah, it was, it was quite terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I, I like moths, but I don't want them up in my grill, you know? I kind of like have that theory a lot of insects, like yeah. they're, they're okay where they are, don't come near my face, though, so. Yeah, well... I'm terrified of cicadas, so... I'll oh, really? Yeah. That, ben was very quick on wanting to kill it, which distressed me a little bit. It's a moth. It. Why would you kill a moth? It's getting up in my face. If you touch it anyway, it's going to die, because it's got the dust yeah, on it. Yeah, well, I'm going to ask Tom about that. Yeah. As the no, uh, resident insect expert. He knows bees. He doesn't he knows, know... He's in a, he knows everything about roots. anything. And if he doesn't know, he'll make something up that sounds... <laughs> That's right. ...probable. <laughs> yeah. Well, he can call himself a doctor. That's true. He doesn't like it, though. Because they're not really doctors. That's what he thinks as well. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we are recording sometime in the past. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to do the joke of or in the future. Or is it in the future? Oh. We've done a little bit of this podcast, but we had to yeah. redo it because somebody got a phone call. Mm. Mm. Yes. Um, we're going to be talking about Dune. Yeah, June. Dune. It's not Dune. It's <laughs> June. It's June. <laughs> no, it's Dune. Why is everything weird? Nah, I just say that. I just say. Can't you... oh, what's that? It's that? oh, a drill. Someone's trying to drill. They're, they're trying to get in. Yeah, then they're, they're going to like, break in the door and they're going to go, <laughs> Dune. Dune. <laughs> no, June. I, June. I do say June, but right. I like saying Dune. Well, stop. Why? I, it bothers me. Okay, it's going to be an episode of Dune. Um... And you did your thesis on, on that's right. So on this is, this is my special pick of, yeah. of what I would like to talk about. This is going to be cool. Um, in the precursor to that, did you want to ask a random question, which is not random, that we asked last time? Yes, yes. I wanted to know what was the first science fiction book that you read. Yes, so I I believe it was Odd John. I think, or yep. it could have been something by Larry Niven. Um, yeah. That I actually completed reading. I think it was Odd John, because yeah. it was quite small. Yeah, well, weirdly, I own it. I haven't read it yet, but I've read a lot of other Olive Sapodon's work. I've lost it on my copy. Yeah. Like, it's it's gone. I remember in school, I wrote <laughs> the surname of a John who was a bully um, in primary school. So it said Odd John, and then the, the surname. Oh, right. Kid. Yeah. Uh, and then a teacher found it, and she told me to not... Uh, this was a sister... So oh, yeah. I went to a primary school with sisters, yeah. um, and uh, so a, a, a nun of the Mary MacKillop order, pretty strict um, school, and... Uh, oh, wait, I know that, that Mary MacKillop, she was Australian. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I, she, we get a calendar, we get the sisters to send us a calendar to Dr. Smith's every uh, year, and oh. they, we have heaps of sisters coming, Yeah. and I've learned, I, re- I Google in my spare time the history and stuff, she's yeah, quite yeah, an yeah. interesting lady. So in Picton, they have to the school, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, so the sister told me to not be so indignant, I think, and I did not know what that meant in Year 5. Yeah. But yeah, I read that book in Year 5, maybe Year 4. So quite early. Yeah, Olive Sabin's one was my, probably my favourite, in my top five science fiction writers. Because hmm. I recommend you read Star Maker, because Star Maker's one of the earliest sci-fi books I read. Yeah. And I was about, like, I was in Year 10, because <laughs> I read mostly fantasy. Like, yeah. fantasy was my jam when I was growing up. It's like perfect escapism for mm. a single child on her own, like an only child and yeah. a single parent. Like, you want to escape your reality, 
fantasy yeah, is what you read. It <laughs> also was a good escape for someone who grew up in a family of five kids. Yeah. Quite a lot. So, yeah, I read fantasy and I went for like Lord of the Rings and yeah. like, um, oh, what's the word? Series? Um, the, anyway, it doesn't matter. I read lots and lots of books. As, Did you read Brandon Sanderson's Wheel of Time? Yes. Yeah. No, that's that's not Samson. That's Will. Oh, but he, but he sorry, he took over. Um, yeah. it's Robert Jordan, right? Jordan, yeah, yeah. yeah. I then, read the first nine Will times. Yeah, there's a lot. But Brand, yeah. um, I think when he passed away, Brandon yes. Sanderson took over and did that's the right. last five or something. Yeah. Um, I didn't finish it. I read the first like maybe four books mm. and then I stopped because you need to really have them all ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> to massive series. Yeah. I was part of some. I think it was the Double Day Book Club or something. So oh, you yeah. could pay and you could get like bulk a lot of oh, books. Nice. So I was just amassing all of these books. Yeah. And I still got heaps of them hanging around home. But yeah. Yeah, all those old school fantasies are great. Hmm. Mm. I was into D and D as well, so that helped. Um, Raymond E. Feist also did yeah, some Feist. good stuff. Yeah. Um, and then there's an old one that writes with his wife. I can't remember his name. Actually, um, the Magician's the best book. Yeah, Pug, so Pug's cool. story, like, he's so cool. Yeah, like, I really like the I way he writes. I to be Pug. Do you ever read Robin Hobb? I'm a big fan of Robin Hobb as well. No. She was a little bit later, maybe, than Feist. Um, what's the... Yeah, you don't, you don't remember the old school? He wrote a lot of series, and then he, him and his wife wrote... I think it's David Eddings. Oh, yeah. And then he... Yeah. I think he wrote a few series with his wife, mm. and they're really good books yeah. as well. So, yeah, anyway, I started my love for started with fantasy okay. and then moved more to sci-fi as I got a bit older mm. and one of the earliest ones I read was Olive Stapleton's um, Star Maker and then for Last and First Men and I just love the way he writes he's mm. such big pictures sort of stuff um, yeah what John's more individualistic is really nuts down to you know this family and stuff so yeah what's um, it about again it's about an, like an alien that grows up in a family basically. Mm, like yeah. they think there's something wrong with the, the guy anyway yeah it's cool I like it. Um, yeah. Yes. So, um, talking about Dune. Yes. Do we want to play an intro music um, of something? So yeah. What did you choose? Uh, we're doing the. Oh shit! <laughs> the, f- the intro <laughs> for um. How can I always forget this director? The intro. Name? So we're doing the intro to the movie, which yes. is the nineteen eighty four classic. Um, uh, David Lynch. Yes. David Lynch. Which is the movie that got made, yes. not the movie that was not made. Correct. Yes. So we'll play that little bit of intro. Uh, and the drill is not part of the intro. That's just a special yeah, feature. Yeah, that's going to be heard. So we'll, we'll listen back to this and hear if we, we can hear the drill. If yeah. we can't hear the drill, then we'll stop making jokes about yeah. the drill. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is the, the introduction, which is um, dubbed A Very Delicate Time. beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. The known universe is ruled by the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV, my father. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice 
expands consciousness. The spice is vital to space travel. The Spacing Guild and its navigators, who the spice has mutated over 4,000 years, use the orange spice gas, which gives them the ability to fold space. That is, travel to any part of the universe without moving. Oh yes, I forgot to tell you, the spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. A desolate, dry planet with vast deserts. Hidden away within the rocks of these deserts are a people known as the Fremen, who have long held a prophecy that a man would come, a messiah, who would lead them to true freedom. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. spicy intro yeah <laughs> i've got Get an it? intro of my own i would is like to spicy? read out it's pretty spicy okay let's let's lay it on yeah. lay it on so this is an excerpt from my thesis so the june novels are set in the distant future the year 10,191 in a universe where humans can space travel at a speed faster than light and where ingesting the drug melange enables prescient and supernatural abilities of perception it is a universe where worms that live in the desert grow to 400 meters in length and can swallow helicopters whole the central setting of the space saga is the planet Arrakis, or Dune, a harsh desert planet located in the Canopus star system. The society on Dune, like that on the other planets in the galaxy, is monarchical and feudal, with the Emperor at the top of the great chain of being. The Emperor rules with a small number of key, key dukes assisting in maintaining power and dominance over the rest of the population. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty spicy. It's yeah, right. very spicy. So there's lots of different families. That are, yes. They're, they're right. referred to families or clans or... They're, they're, Factions, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. Mm. Um, so I've read it. You've yes. read it. Yes. Yes, a couple um, of times. Yes. Uh, and I've played the game. Mm -hmm. You've not played the game. No, but I own the board game. <laughs> I haven't played it. You, oh, yeah, and there's the board game yep. on top of that as well, which you recently got. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is a remake of the old board game. 
um, and it is a very good board game as well. It's very, very highly reviewed and revered yeah. and stuff. All right, well, do you want to give a little bit of background about maybe what the book's about, and then, I don't know, what do you want to talk about? Um, yeah, well, I thought I could talk about why I wrote mm. the thesis on June. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a bit of a weird situation to be writing about June within the religious studies department. So I normally give this story... <laughs> it's not weirder than anything else that <laughs> yeah, we're all doing. <laughs> I don't know if I've given this story. I don't think I've told a story in the pod before about why I got into sci-fi mm. in the first place. Maybe I did in the first episode. If so, I'm sorry if it's repetitive. But basically, um, I uh, decided I wanted to write about uh, L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology. Have I done this story, Ben? Do you know? I don't think so. Okay. Oh, so, maybe. Yeah, I started Doesn't... off being wanting to write, uh, read uh, L. Ron Hubbard's science fiction works before he wrote Dianetics because mm. I was quite interested in trying to trace aspects of his Scientology theories through his science fiction because most people know that uh, he's a prolific sci-fi writer. I think he wrote about five, 500. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he still started writing after um, Dianetics. He's still, still writing yeah. science fiction. But not as prolific as other way. Yeah. True. So he wrote about 500 works of sci-fi um, and so I started reading uh, Battlefield Earth um, mm. and I got through almost half of it and it was just utter drizzle. It was shit, basically. <laughs> It's a terrible book. He's well, he was a, a terrible writer. He was a failed. No, people. Writer. He's quite popular, but not for me. Like it's too yeah. like that very like um, like I know we talk a lot of make jokes about me liking um Ellison and you thinking he's sexist, but you wait till you try and read Battlefield Earth. Like mm. the woman character is basically what you see on the cover, which is the the hero, and he's like Johnny B. Good, his name yeah. something like just yeah. something like that. But she's like draped in like scantily because they're like cavemen kind of yeah. characters in scantily colored clothes at his feet, kind of like reaching up. That's the cover of the book, so you yeah. can imagine what her role in the book is. And basically, she just always following him around and just had no absolutely no substance or anything. And and yeah. unlike Ellison, who I think does it for a particular reason, I could see no reason why. Um, Hubbard was writing her mm. like this. And so I was like, I can't spend a year writing about Scientology. Like, about me, yeah. about this sort of shit sci-fi. So I was like, what I'm going to do is pick a sci-fi that I like. Yeah. And I re- I've always loved the June books. I'd read them when I was much younger, and I was like, I'm going to reread them again and see if I can do something on this. And mm. because for a religious, for a science fiction work that explores religion, um, it's pretty out of it like it's hard to find anything that compares us that's quite that good i i believe obviously there's writers that are religious and who have written so mm. obviously um um we talked about narnia and uh c.s lewis yeah it's quite interesting philip pullman's interesting comparison on that and his his dark materials books which is the very anti-religious and then you've got uh c.s lewis doing very quite religious and so mm. philip pullman wrote that as a reply basically i Pretty sure to to that kind of the Christian elements that come out of Narnia. Have hmm. you read his dark materials? No. Oh, no. they're such good books. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. critical of the church, and he's just slowly like kind of tied mm. that. Because I know Tolkien wrote um, parts of Lord of the Rings as a as a snapback as well. Mm. So there was this, you know, that writers group that met at a pub. Which one of our fact checkers will let us know which <laughs> pub it was? Um, yeah. But yeah, they they have these writing meetings, which is just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so anyway, that's how I got into June, and so mm. I wrote my honors thesis looking at not just the eco-religious themes, but looking at the Zen, as older Zen Buddhist themes. Yeah. In, um, her, so Herbert uh, describes himself as a Zen Buddhist, and he ties a lot of those um, elements through the June book. So 
I looked with that lens in mind as well, and I really enjoyed mm. it. And that's I enjoyed writing so, so much. So that's more of the noble family, the um, what are they called? The Harkonnens. No Harkonnens. Oh, the bad one. Bad dudes. Atreides. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Whereas the others are Insidious, which is the um, the green faction. What's the one in the middle? Anyway, I'll get that. The, the names of that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So basically, not only are there Zen Buddhist elements in. Paul's abilities and and his sort of and also Herbert's uh, talk. So Paul's Paul Atreides is the main character uh, in mm-hmm. the first, second, and really the third novels. Um, so not only are there so any anyway, I should say how many novels there are. Let me just find my little intro. Uh, hang on, where is it? Sorry, everybody. I'm just googling stuff. We're both just having a look. Ordos. Okay, so you've got three factions. Yes. Yeah, so you've got the Harkonnens, which are evil. There is the Ordos. And then the Atreides, I think is how you say it. Is that right? Yeah. Do you say Atreides? Oh, Atreides. Or... But it, that's a, um, a similar to the same name of the ancient Greek uh, family. I'm pretty sure... Um, it's a reference to that. Uh, what are the family that eat each other? Thyestes and... Um, what's the other one? Mm. In Seneca. So the Thyestes oh. and... You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, like. I know what you're talking about. Anyway, it's a, it's a reflection of, of their family. So it would be Arthridis. Yeah. Um, exactly. So Arthridis, and the Ordos um, are the family. So Arthridis are, are noble. Harkonnen are evil, and then Ordos are insidious, apparently, according to Dune 2. <laughs> There's a really good database as well. There's like a Dune encyclopedia where people go through and discuss like every element of it. So mm. I found that really useful writing my PhD for yeah. definitions and stuff, because Herbert throws in so much jargon like specific to the books, like a yeah. huge amount, and he has his own glossary in, in his books as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just getting up my... Um, is it an AS1? No, anyway... So everyone, I'm getting up my small paper because I can't find it. My thesis is too long to work out where the section is. <laughs> Such a humble brag. Oh, my thesis is too long. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, when did you first read it while I'm looking? Um, I read them... Hmm. So I would have been probably in year seven, year six or seven. I picked it up around the same time I pick up, picked up Dusk Capital. Yeah. Like, oh, Marx. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I read Marx at the same time as re- reading this, and then had finished Magician. Um, also read Lord of the Rings. By that time, I'd read the Bible. I think three times, four times. So I was reading a lot. That's all I was doing. Yeah. Because I had growing up, I was a gamer, but you had very few games bought for you as a child. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'd get really bored. And I would just read everything. I remember one time at night I was reading... I read medical journals. Really? Yeah, I couldn't find anything else to read in the house. I'd read everything. So I was reading, like, medical encyclopedic journals. Wow. Did you learn anything? Yeah. About the body? Yeah. I found some papers stuff, actually, um, which was interesting. And the papers were on vasectomies. And they were about 11 months before I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, I found my little summary. So, the first novel of Herbert's trilogy, Dune, begins in the year 10,191, approximately 8,200 years into the future from the time of writing. 
The galaxy is a multi-planet system which is under feudal monarch rule in which major houses jostle for primacy. The current emperor, Shaddam Karino VII, sits atop the political hierarchy. The novel focuses on characters from House Atreides, Duke Leto, Lady Jessica, their son Paul and daughter Aelia. The planet at the heart of the series is Arrakis or Dune, a harsh desert planet hostile to most living organisms and home to a native population called the Fremen, who have adapted the, to the unique ecosystem of the planet. The Fremen use sandworms, deadly giant creatures worth to travel and to harvest spice, a valuable resource prized by the whole galaxy. To make the, make the planet more habitable, the Fremen begin to collect moisture from the air through catchments and plant uh, durable scrubs to slowly increase the moisture in the air with the goal of creating a natural water cycle on the arid planet. The project of ter terraforming Dune is initially undertaken by two planetologists, Pardo and his son Lightkinds, who set in motion a slow, grassroots, community-led project to make the planet more habitable. Their project is fast-tracked with the introduction of the protagonist of the trilogy, Paul Atreides, who utilizes the Fremen and his control over them as a religious leader to hasten the terraforming project, etc., etc. Um, I won't mm. keep reading it, but that's pretty much the sort of the first three books and I just looked at the first three books because there are a lot of books yeah because there's the return series as well and yes yeah um so on the side of that the RTS game which I believe it's actually part of the canon as well um has got uh, focuses on the battle for the spice early in the first yeah. book so it's all um it's before any of the major terraforming takes place and the land is arid, and it's a desert planet. Yes. Um, it's a very, very, very early RTS game. Mm. Um, so which is real-time strategy. Basically, you are in a base, and you're um, laying concrete, and you're creating buildings, and those buildings can create people or energy. Um, and then it has little vehicles, which collect spice. Um, so um, you've got your actions on the right-hand side, and then you've got... Hi everyone, the yoga session will be starting <laughs> shortly at 12pm. Please make your way up to the Digital Scholarship Studio on level 5. Thank you. Wow. I might leave that in, because <laughs> that's actually quite useless to have a uh, notification system inside a recording room. Yeah, but this I guess is... if there was a fire, we would want to be notified. That's not a fire. Yoga, <laughs> you should not have fire when you're doing yoga. Yeah. Unless I it's have, hot yoga. They must have known that we were already doing our yoga movements. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so early RTS game. Um, and I played that in the precursor to doing this episode, so yep. I, I revisited it. Oh, here, I've got my info on the French. So the Dune franchise at present consists of six novels in the main corpus by Herbert and 13 additional novels co-written by Herbert, his son Brian Herbert, and Kevin Anderson that enrich the universe of the original six novels. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're not going to try and talk. I actually no. haven't even read them all. So. I read the first four or five. Yeah. I think I'm about the same. Four or five, I think, yeah, I got. Um, which were all... Really good. I liked the, the the universe. I really enjoyed it. Um, this is at a time like I was starting to get into Star Wars and sort of moving away right. from um, fantasy as much. I, I still enjoy fantasy more than sci-fi, mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. Um, if I had to choose one, but I'm really into Star Wars. Like I, I love Star Wars. I watch all the movies and stuff. Yeah. So this was just like a perfect time for me. And then the RTS game comes out, and then Command and Conquer, and it's sort of like more war elements. Mm -hmm. um, but I liked Dune 2 because it was set on a, you know, a Martian-like planet, you yeah. know, with the red dust and stuff around, and you have the big worms and things. And, yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Mm. Um, cool setting. Really well written and engaging. Um, yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. 
I like it because of its, like, I really like the way Herbert writes because I believe, so when I first read the books and I decided to do my honest thesis on it, I found it really hard to pinpoint what exactly Herbert was trying to say. Hmm. Because if you read Just June, you get this idea that he's really promoting this terraforming project because the Fremen, it's really grassroots. They're slowly gathering water. They're setting up water catchments yep. and dripping it and they're growing little grass and they're doing it as almost like a a kind of a big F you to the sort of suppression they've felt as a people. So mm. they're really kind of, because the emperor um, at the time is is basically, they dismiss June and they also subjugate them and, and, and yeah. they uh, they hide basically from, um, until Paul comes in and, and becomes a leader and, and they start to respect him and treat him as Muad'Dib, yeah. so meaning the desert mouse and he becomes a religious leader. And yeah. Paul really, and I, I find um, Herbert being really quite cynical of religious leaders that, that are like that. But anyway, just bringing it back to the environment. So... You know, they do this really sort of, they the two ecologists come in and they try and slowly make it so that the water, because it, it's so arid that they wear their still suits, which recycle mm. the water moisture. So no moisture can be lost. That That's how sacred and special water is. They have to, like, every time they move, if you walk the desert without a still suit, you would die. Not just because of yeah. the sandworms that will come and feel the vibrations and eat you. Yeah. It's also, you need the, the moisture. So anyway, um, it starts off like that. And you're thinking, oh, wow. So... This is what Herbert's saying. He's saying terraforming, if we do it with systems in mind and we do it as a community-led project, is, is really positive because you can actually adapt and change the environment. But then when you read the second and third novel, that terraforming wipes out the sandworms, mm-hmm. which is such an important aspect of the spice. So they produce the spice and they can't exist with, with water. And so by bringing the water in, they the Fremen lose not just their way of life because they've become hardy desert people. And you read through the books that they're becoming soft and weak and and you can almost read that Herbert's critiquing almost the terraforming project so when I was reading I was like right great terraforming good and then I read this thing and I'm like hang on terraforming bad but then the way Herbert writes is he tries to trick you constantly he's trying to say ha ah, this is what I'm saying and then he says actually I'm not and then he says ah well, this is what I'm saying and yep. so as I was reading it every time I thought I understood the novels I would come up with a contradiction so he, so then I was like great he's saying terraforming is bad he's saying that natural deserts should be left as they are and that they should have left June to maintain itself because it's so important that our desert systems are looked after and mm. the reason Herbert wrote it in the first place he was writing a, a scientific paper for protecting poverty grass in Californian dunes. So he wrote this as he was writing a paper for the Californian government about sand dunes and how to protect them. And as he was building up his research, he had so much papers worked out. He's like, I'm going to make a novel. And so he wrote it. So he is at his core. He is an ecologist. He, in his spare time designs, was designing wind farms, like special patented, um, turbines wind turbines like that's how important environment was for him so then when i was reading i'm like well i my assumption that he was pro terraforming is wrong he's actually quite negative to it but then i think it's towards the last the second book you find out that sandworms initially thousands thousands of years ago had terraformed dune to have no water Mm. so it actually was a water sustaining planet Mm. the sandworms came in and and with the sand trout which can convert the water made it so that they could survive and they actually terraformed it themselves Mm. so then you're thinking well what is herbert saying is he saying terraforming is bad or terraforming is good well there's there's links to so with that that 
um, alteration and change that has taken place for June, yeah. really the key is the spice is controlling the universe, and yeah. that's why this is so important. And it's constantly being a planet that people have paid attention to and fought over because there is this element yeah. of spice that's mm. on there. So that's a distraction as well because you have this resource and you're using this planet as as a means to an end. Yeah. Um, and all of these factions and families, whether they're coming from... Um, or the houses, whether they're coming from a noble place or not, mm. they're altering the planet, and that's a change that's taking place. So that's yeah. constantly there. And I actually like that about the game, where you know you have to choose any of the three factions, mm. and you can choose to do these things. But really, each of the three factions are pretty much identical. Each have got like little abilities of themselves, but your output is exactly the same. Build base, collect spice, spice to go um, and be given to whoever's asking for it on behalf of the, the Emperor, mm. um, and then it has to go back. So all of these people that are being sent there, in, in Herbert's sense, they're all altering the planet, whether they're coming from the noble cause yeah. or, or ennoble cause, yeah. um, which is quite a good critique. Um, and quite I, I liked how in-depth that was and quite real it felt, mm. felt like the universe. Because I don't like reading books where you've got, all right, here is the definitive hero. Yeah. You know, and this is the way that they go with it. Tolkien's really good that way, and I prefer Tolkien rather than Lion, the Wish, and Wardrobe, for example. Um, because, you know, Frodo is a fallen character at some point, um, um, and Bilbo as well. So yeah. these, these characters, they struggle through life, yeah. and they may be doing good things, but they're really struggling here. And you can see that through June, where you've got these three factions, and they're doing things for their different motives, mm. uh, motivations. None of them are really good. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I, I originally then, sorry, I eventually led to the Zen Buddhist thing. Because mm. It's all about balance. So that's right. It's one about balance and it's also about not giving you any assumptions. So Herbert to me and how I ended up reading it was through the idea of a koan. So koan is a Zen Buddhist uh, riddle essentially. Mm. So, you know, the sort of thing, if a tree falls in a forest, can will anybody hear it? Mm. And so I read it almost like a master student and because of Herbert Bean is a Buddhist. I believe he's writing it as sort of wanting us to work out our own assumptions ourselves. Mm. And that's why he had so many paradoxes in there. Because even with Paul, you read the first book, you're like, Paul's the hero, Paul's great, you know, look at him, like he's getting all the people to fight against oppression. And then he becomes an oppressor himself. And, and he's constantly plagued by, same with the gift of prescience. So he has this special ability where he can see into the future and ends up like, destroying him essentially and he ends up becoming like a desert pariah like an old man in the desert that's actually telling people to stop terraforming as same with the, his son leader the second who's born who becomes he merges his body with the sandworms and they consume his body and then he spends his time destroying all the projects that they're doing to terraform so it's all these interesting little um complex contradictions that i think herbert purposely uses so that we don't just read it and get fed the whatever he wanted. He wanted yeah. us to go, hang on, is that right? Or hang on, what is, what is that supposed mm. to mean? And it's such a complex text. And that's the other thing is that you could pick any theme and you could say that that's what Herbert was trying to say. Yeah. You could just look at the political intrigue. You could look at just the, the Muslim terms, that, like the Middle Eastern kind of Arabian elements of the Fremen people, mm. which are very, you know, I think he's very inspired by that. You could look at... Um, indigenous people and how their lands have been taken because you can look at the Fremen as indigenous people. You could look at the Catholic and the Jean Besserets and how they represent the Catholic because, you know, Herbert was a quite... Uh, I think he went to a Catholic school. He had a quite a critical idea of, of Catholicism. Mm. So anything like that you could pick 
and you could explore. And so that's why I think it's just such a rich text and why I fangirl over it every time I talk about it because <laughs> I just think he's such a good writer. Like and this eco the eco themes and how he feels so passionate about it, but he doesn't just pour it down your throat. He wants you to come to those conclusions yourself, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I I see um, linkages with other larger novels as well, you know, Tolkien's and and Dostoevsky. Mm. So you could say so, uh, that right, there are all those elements as well, but there is also this underlying philosophy with each of those elements that we can sort of pull out because yeah. he's really thought this through. Um, and he's not trying to lay it out um, plainly, but it's just an underlying cause, and he believes this about his universe, and that's what he's done. He's created this unique universe out of, you know, his mind. Yeah. Um, and also, cool. it was quite, yeah, I like I like the anti-hero aspect as well. I'm pretty sure when he first wrote it, his publisher was like, you can't have a character like Paul, like, you, you can't set him up and then have him fail, because yeah. it was quite unique around that around the sort of early 60s and I know that um, you know, Tolkien was doing it as well but it wasn't something that's done especially around the 60s with sci-fi at that time with the magazines and I talked a bit about um, Hubbard uh, sorry yeah Elrond Hubbard's work being you know the, the masculine mm. ubermensch of like you know that hero that, that saves the world and kills the aliens and you can see all the yeah. images of them strong like was really difficult to then knock it off especially the journals to knock yeah. those off those magazines yeah, yeah. off their little pedestal so I think that's quite interesting hmm. it's funny I um, uh, this week I saw an interview with Mark Hamill um, mm -hmm. from Star Wars and he was talking about that element of surprise of narratives of not having like definitive heroes so he thought when he first got the script of Star Wars mm. um, and it was called The Adventures of uh, so it's The Star Wars Saga um, The Adventures of Luke Starmaker through the eyes of the something else yep. right? so it had a longer title um, he only realised at that point that Luke Skywalker is the hero because he thought, oh, no, no, it's Han Solo. Han Solo is the hero, yeah? yeah. Like, he's a, a gun-shooting, toting guy. He's, you know, shoots someone in the first couple of scenes yeah. of the movie. And he's quite, you know, the ubermensch guy. And he's mm. the strong guy. He's the womanizer. And those were the type of films that were made at the time. Yeah. But Lucas is like, no, no, we're going to make the fallen kid, the kid that doesn't even have parents. And his aunt and uncle... You know, I've have trapped him almost in this this experience, and don't want to tell him about his past. We're going to make him the hero, <laughs> yeah. um, and it broke all of those conventions. Yeah. Um, and that's what this book does as well. It it doesn't follow that narrative. Oh yeah, we need to have the hero, the star person, and yeah. and go there. And and I think there must have been a change that was taking place with Hollywood and books at the time, because these are written, you know, the contemporary. Mm. Um, that people started to look at the world a little bit different. Um, and not looking at, um, I'm trying to retell that same hero's tale over and over again, mm. um, which is quite interesting, I think. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really good book, and I just like the trickiness of it. I like mm. writers that say, like, try and make us contradict ourselves, and, and at the end of the day, so, you know, I like films that do this, and we talk a bit about some of the, the films I like that have no definitive answer, that yep. leave you kind of guessing, and, and other people, other friends of mine hate movies like that, because they're like, they're like, when they live in a big year, it's like, yeah, what yeah. happened? Did it happen? Like, woo! And I get that too, like, it, yeah. it can be frustrating, but... I, if I'm still thinking about it like four or five days after, it's yep. been a good book or a yeah. good film. And But when you read Dune, because it's so intricate with this political stuff, sometimes you'd read it and you might not even pick up on that. So I had to read it, read it a second time mm. because I hadn't actually even 
worked out those contradictions until reading it really closely because it's very easy to read it just as like a political intrigue or because it's very much on that as well like Mm. the drama the the families and that's an important aspect but I was actually thinking wow like there's stuff I'd miss for the first time around Mm. the Mm. second time around it's a book that I think you can read over and over again and get new information yeah and it's got some low-lying fruit as well so the the aspect of um, you know house interaction um, so not just the political intrigue Mm. but that you know the personal house interaction um, with the daughter of the emperor and you know what's going on there that's actually quite interesting as a human element of, of interaction between people so he does that but then he does that more um, it's more of a Tolstoy thing, you know, that cinematic view of the world, you know, mm. going back and actually seeing, okay, this is what's happening with all these houses, then zooming in yeah. on each of the individuals and how they're, they're engaging. So he, he does take Tolstoy's style very much, um, and I, I think he does that really well, but he does it more than what Tolstoy do, does with just going, okay, this is, you know, Russia and French engagements during, um, you know, mm. the, the war, and then we'll go back into Napoleon yeah. and what's going on. He's, uh, June is doing that for an entire universe, really. Yeah. Focusing on a world, yes, but it's an entire world, and then it goes back and it's an entire universe. And yeah. And I think also to not just look at the people, but look at the planet and look yeah. at the ecology of the planet and look at that destruction and and looking at terraforming is not always being a good thing because often we look at desert environments as oh you know it's just desert there's nothing yeah. really there and wouldn't it be great if we could bring water and that's what i mean the fremen wanted but then not realizing the dependency that they had on the, the worms because they the worms are the, called the in the fremen language shaholat and they are um a, they're spiritual they're considered gods so mm. that loss of uh, religion when the sandworms ultimately dis- start to disappear and, and they, yeah, as, as a lot of the characters in the story notice that the people start to soften up. They had a hard edge that they had adapted to the desert where their uh, water laws were really strict. They'd have to wear their still suits and once that starts to go away the terminology that they're using is like that people come seasick or they, they drown and things in the when there's no longer any water and they, they get so confused and, and there's this idea that that the people are losing their way and they're losing their connection with the land when the water... Oh, mm. the drill is back. <laughs> Which oh, yeah, we didn't, we listen, didn't listen back. So either you can hear the drill or you can't. <laughs> um, but anyway, I just think that's really interesting that they look at the weakness, they notice a weakness coming in with the, with the water, that the people start to lose a bit of hard edge, mm. which I think is quite interesting. Mm. Um, hmm. What else about June do I love? With the game, I know we're going yeah. back and forth a little bit, so you haven't ever played the game mm. or anything like that. You ever played a real-time strategy game like that? Mm. So it's like oh, a point-and-click You game. mean like Age of Mythology kind of game? Yeah. Yeah, I love those games. Okay. I probably yeah. would like it then. So it's like that? Yeah, but it's early. So oh, I played okay. it this week yeah. and returned to it. Um, and I played it on my Amiga, so I had it like all set up, and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm there, and I had my beer that night, and I'm like, okay, I've cleared my calendar. Yeah. Um, I'm going okay with my marking, so I'll spend a little bit of time on this. And I go into the garage, and then for... <laughs> so it's a six-disc game, right? Now I've got a, an, a, um, a GoTech drive installed in my Amiga, which means it emulates disk images to think that you're inserting them but it'll still ask for disk one two three because yeah. i like that you know like that element back yeah. to the past and it's nothing more authentic to me and i don't have to sit there and install all of them on a hard drive or whatever mm-hmm. so they're all sitting there and then it's like i oh, put in disk one then put in disk three <laughs> not disk two disk three and then yeah. disk four then two then five and it's going back and forth right finally gets into the game so that was annoying <laughs> the, the loading component of it 
Right, so we get to, to load the game, and then it says, oh, yeah, create a save disk. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so then I have to, like, turn the thing off, create a save disk, go back in, and then do that yep. whole thing, right? So we're now into 20, 25 minutes. Why don't you just me. play it from an emulator? No. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I've got... No, in my garage, I've got all of these CRTs. So you like, you original want to use them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like using them originally, because I think that that's more of an authentic experience, right. yeah? Um, so it starts the game. You can only click on... So this is because it's so early. It's one of the first RTS games. Yeah. You can only click on. What year was it? Uh, it is 1992. Wow. Okay. So it's early. Um, and it's made in adaptation of Lynch's movie, which is an adaptation of Herbert's. Yeah. So it's it's just a few about that war. Degrees of separation. It is, but I, I I believe it's considered as as this this canon aspect to it, the yep. later books and stuff. So it's been almost retconned into it. Um, and it was developed by Westwood Studios, and they're a really good development house. So they, could, they did mm-hmm. really good quality games. You can only click uh, click on one, like, unit at a time. So you know with Age of Mythology you can drag yeah. and select <laughs> and you can move everyone around and you can do, like, these big attacks. No, you can't do that. So it's all individual units. Um, and I think that that element of not being able to select everyone on screen all at the same time, just, it, it is hard. It's hard to go back to that. Um, Warcraft 2. Do you remember Warcraft? Mm-hmm. Did you ever play that? Oh, Warcraft was really cool. Warcraft and Warcraft 2, because you click on each of the individual units and they'd say different things. You'd click on the orcs and you'd go, Zog Zog, what do you want me to do? You yeah. know, yeah. Okay. And then, like, they'd walk around. Yeah. Um, and that was fun for the time, but then... With games getting larger and you're controlling more and more of the map, I've become used to my RTSs just selecting everyone. Yeah, that right. innovation has made it made it so hard to go back to this. Yeah. So I played like three levels and I'm like, oh, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I just can't. Like it's it's it was great for its time, but I don't think it's aged well, um, which is a shame. Yeah, um, I'm just reading. So there's a film coming out in 2020. So that people are getting quite excited about. So 2020 American epic science fiction film directed by Dennis Villeneuve, which I'm not sure what else he's done. Uh, but that looks like there's been a bit of hype because I'm on a Facebook, doing Facebook group. People have mm. been talking a little bit about it. So that should be interesting. That's going to be cool. Yeah, because the yeah there's been there's the film that didn't get made, which I think is Jodorowsky. No, um, what's his name? Uh, I knew I'd do this at some point. It's Jodorowsky's. Is that Jodorowsky? Yeah, I think so. Or I think you have Jodorowsky. What's the other one we're talking about? Dostoevsky. Do, 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 do. yeah. No, it's not Dostoevsky. Yeah, no, He's been <laughs> dead for a while. Um, but then there's a David Lynch film, yeah. which is really good for like its aesthetic. Mm. It'd be interesting mm. to see somebody else talk about it. <laughs> see someone else talk about the three and a half hour full-length version. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was all of the director commentary stuff and, yes. and extra stuff. Um, well. But no, um, there's an, yeah. another book where they, I just quickly mentioned that Herbert writes called The Green Brain, which is really interesting. It's the about this brain. world where there's like a green zone and then there's the rest of the world. Basically, I don't know if it's Earth or another planet where people have cleared all insects so the insects are, kill people. So they managed to clear <laughs> off so that there's no insects able to come in to certain sections. But then yeah. the insects develop a brain and a, like an insect brain that comes... Yeah. I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> they develop like a brain and like create humanoid looking people made from insects that come in and like invade. Anyway, really interesting wow. 
kind of eco message about insects like fighting back and stuff. So yeah. what's so interesting is like, you know, people, not everyone reads Dune as eco- ecological, but if you look at all his other works, he, he does really care about ecology. I think he tries <laughs> to tie that in. And I'm, I'm writing a paper now. There's a call for chapters on American ecology and literature. So I'm going to okay. try and write about, not many people have written about the green brain, so I'm going to try and write yeah, about, cool. about that. Because I know I've already got another paper on Dune pending for a journal of mm. um that's the one you've been waiting for ages oh, i just got they just sent it back recently with changes. more changes oh, yeah okay. it just keeps yeah. going back and forth i just want it to be over yeah. <laughs> so it takes annoying. Them so long to actually get back yeah i think it was four months since my last yeah. edits and then it you know and they expect me to have it back in like, two weeks <laughs> there's no end date for them like i'm i'm helping edit a volume at the moment yeah um for the studies and religion department but there is an end date to that yeah so all of my authors know that okay it's going to come out at this point right yeah. so there's going to be changes that will come but it will have an end date i much prefer that rather than these long journals which go okay yeah we've got one or two issues that are coming out maybe every year yeah possibly not um I got I submitted one very early in my academic career and mm. it was managed by someone who was in South Africa and I got yeah. this really shitty email back from a professor going, My country's been taken over <laughs> and like you don't understand. I'm like, yeah. dude, just don't don't worry about it. Like it's taking you seven months to say that yeah, it's submitted and we're we're reviewing it. Don't worry about it. Like I'll I'll withdraw it. Yeah. And I did, and I submitted it to someone else. It gets published. Yeah. I had to do that too with um one of the journals. The publishers had two different opinions. They were fighting. Like the two editors were fighting <laughs> really? between each other. Yeah. They basically didn't want. One of them thought that they needed a higher caliber publication. The other one was like, "No, nah, let's just get some." So there were like four uh, editions, mm. four years behind or something crazy, oh, in right. their what they're meant to be. They just hadn't published anything because they were like a stalemate. And so yeah, after nine, because that's the solution. Yeah. Hey, let's just not do anything. Yeah, it was about that's... eleven months after wow. I'd submitted it and getting these emails, being like, "Oh, we're still not sure," and then I had to actually remove it. And then they stepped down. They still haven't finished those editions. It's just like a schmozzle. <laughs> And so I, as I've talked about before, I'm now going for call. So there's call for chapters, but there's also journals who call for call journal for, editions. Yeah, and call for papers. Call yeah. For, like, so sorry, I did, yeah, I think that's way better yeah, way to go. I did that with load. Uh, was it loading? Uh, one of the journals I wrote um, a cloud. Yeah, paper about Final Fantasy VII, and I just like saw the call for papers. I'm like, oh yeah, I could be able to come up with this. And yeah. I remember standing in the shower and it, like, it dawned on me. I'm like, I could do it on that. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And then just smash these things two together. It's so much better because, one, yeah. they're organized. Two, mm. they want something. Mm. They're not just like, they don't have a bank of like 30 articles that they're trying to like slowly sift through. Yeah. They actually need things. Yeah. And you can just target what you're already interested in. So, for instance, I had a half-cooked paper that I'd written in second year mm. on... Um, Yorgos Lanthimos' film. Waiting, I just was searching through all the calls for chapters, waiting for one on horror yeah. and, fi- and films, and I was like, bam, I'm going to just submit that. Yeah. And I just had to do a few editions. And the good thing is, a lot of time they only want 200 words or 1,000 word max for the um, expression of interest, mm. right? Mm. So you don't even have to write the whole paper. You yeah. can just send that in. If they say no, you've wasted, what, an hour to write 300 words, yeah. even that half yeah, an hour? exactly. 
But if they accept it, then great, you've got to, you just fucking write the paper. Rather yeah. than writing it, submitting it to a random journal, waiting nine months for them to send you back changes, mm. and then you send it back, and then you have to do that maybe three or four times, like, fucking, I don't care, yeah. you know? And some people are like, you should only publish in, like, the top 30 journals. Like, oh, I've got time. Like, like yeah. the people getting my job are going to be like, hang on, I know where this this journal is. Well, is those rankings, first. they're not even um, managed anymore. They're not even, like, published, really. There are a couple of places where you can see where they're. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the rankings are. But what, not... what do they call it? I can't remember the name. Uh, Scopus or something. Scope. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Scopus been in this other rankings as well. Yeah. Uh, they, they're not. They, they sort of exist, but they sort of don't yeah. exist. Um, but like, my, if I do a postdoc position, they're going to go, ooh, I know the X is in yeah. this journal. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's Unless right. they know the editor of so-and-so. Mm. They're not probably going to even know where these no, journals right. are. Publication's a publication. Yeah. And I think, anyway, we've kind of gone off topic on a rant, but it is something I get, I just get annoyed. I get really annoyed about how long it freaking takes people to go through your journal yeah. papers. Because yeah. this has now been almost a year on this paper, and I would have rather just waited and submitted it to a journal that wants it, mm. rather than keep doing these edits. This is yeah. the third, no, second round, no, third round of edits I'll be doing now. Yeah. It's just kind of like, let it die. <laughs> Yeah. I'd pull it out now if I didn't want to have to go through it all again. Like it's feel like it's yeah, and that's off. the thing because you get like one or two months <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh no, it's already been in there for that yeah. long, so therefore I should just leave it. Um, anyway. But I think it, you're you're right in the way about going about it. I really need to do more of that when I've get called for things rather than um, thinking about passion projects. But then passion projects can come later. But there's enough calls out there in the world for papers and different things yeah that, there's so many you need so to just get work. on you can get so hnet does this is totally unrelated for anybody else but mm. hnet which is the humanities um platform that gathers all call for conferences call for papers call for journal whatever the fuck, it's all there call for jobs yeah they can they'll email you it once a week with all the call for papers if you want or you can go search there and you can search by category country themes subject whatever and mm. it will just show you all the call for chapters or all the call for papers in uh gaming for instance yep. it'll just show you there and then you can just look through find ones that are relevant to you and submit 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 yeah i think it's just me a good way to go does it yeah because <laughs> i look at it and i'm like oh yeah, i could do that that and that and, that, and i don't have oh, yeah. any time for anything yeah. so i just don't look at that yeah, like, but think but about it, it's 200 I... words, you know what I mean? 200 words, 500 mm. words. You just, <laughs> it, it just kind of submit them and see what happens. It's basically just throwing rocks, at, uh, throwing things, see where they land. Yeah, but then they might say yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, no, I'm maxed out with work at the moment. But yeah, certainly if I'm looking for stuff later, which I will, you know, in later years, yeah. definitely need something. Um, that's the way I'm going to go about it, rather than the way I did it previously. Because never doing it again. Sucks. It's yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. I just feel like who's got the time, you know? And like, mm. I'd rather just go. For, and chapters are good too. Like, you yeah. know, people are like Ooh, journals are better than chapters, but it's like, who cares? I think I. Who knows? I don't understand that. <laughs> That's weird. People say yeah. the opposite as well. I it's, know. Yeah. We're I... gonna write a book about all the the sort of um. What's the word? Rumors about about oh, academia. academia yeah. yeah, it's like the twelve the twelve gifts of Christmas. Like, yeah. no publications in <laughs> ten. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, only write on one single subject, <laughs> yeah. and then go for the job for that subject. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, sure. Someone's going to hire someone that's looking at Caesarea in the third century. Yeah, but yeah, specifically. Ah, oh, that dream of this, those tenure professions. I'm yeah. always like, who told you that advice? Yeah. It's always like someone that's been working for like 30 years at the university in their cushy yeah. little job, and yeah. 
Anyway, we could talk. We could bitch about academia all day. Maybe we'll do a special episode on. So you want to be an academic? Hmm. Do a round roundtable discussion. I yeah. would like to get someone who's been in academia for a long time. Yeah. It's a good on, idea. Um, as a guest, so we will ask that person at some point. Are you if... thinking of the same person? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that I think would be interesting. Actually, talking to someone about why they entered into academia and how they entered into it. Not so much the today stuff because everyone talks about the today stuff. Yeah. But going back, like, yeah. in the beginning, <laughs> it was 84 years ago. Mm. Um, anyway, so um, June 2, Arrakis, Battle for Arrakis, I cannot really recommend. Um, <laughs> if you want to go back to experience early RTS, yeah. Was there a remake that's better of it? No. Like a ver- second version? No. Oh, okay. No. There's <laughs> not. Um, that's a shame. It was the foundation of Command and Conquer and Warcraft that basically set the tone for all RTS games and genres afterwards. Yeah. But there are better RTS games to play. But it is not in this universe. It's a cool universe. It's a really cool outset. I like the music, which I would like to close this with mm-hmm. episode with, so I've chosen yep. part of the chiptune. Um, I really, really like it. Um, and I love the book. I love the lore behind it. Yeah, um, yeah it just kind of sucked that a, the movie, uh, the, sorry, the, the um, game was just not... It did, was that it technology not, not available at no. the time? Oh, no. Okay, so they did the best they could. In the yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. It said that they were making it up as they go. Yeah. And they did an awesome, awesome game. It is still, like I would say, one of my favourite RTS games ever. Yeah. But I just don't have time to do it anymore. I, I don't have time to play it like that. Yeah. Um, well, I find some of the older games you recommend me play, I'm finding it hard. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, which we will talk about at some point. Yes. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, you're right. There's there's games for times and places. Um, and it's it's funny going back to these things. Um, yeah. Yeah, Game the System guys talk about this all the time when they do Battle of, like, Mega Drive or whatever. Mm. And then they'll, they'll ask for, you know, favourite games around the table. Yes. Um, and I go back and played the games before, actually. They're not there, but some of them had not. And then we were replaying those games we haven't played since the 90s. Yeah. You have these fond memories, and then you're like, this is trash. This is terrible. <laughs> it's actually really, really yeah. bad. Well, there's a, see, this is the thing, too, is that some of the older games you recommend, you have a nostalgia with them, yeah. and I have nothing. And they're yeah. just, I'm looking at them as an entity of a game, plus I don't really care much about the context. So I don't mm. really, I'm not playing going wow this is this is such so yeah. revolutionary you know what i mean because it's yeah, like yeah because you I, don't understand time or place you're yeah. just going into it later um it's funny i, I agree with you I, it's funny with the store some people buy like nintendo 64s mm. in games and they'll uh, sometimes come back and go oh <laughs> i played it and i'm buying another game for it but it looks really bad on the tv and i'm like yeah that's good that's what it looks like 64 looks bad it's, yeah. it's not a good-looking console. It's not sharp like the older games. Yeah. It's not, um, you know, good-looking 3D like the newer games. It's in this weird in-between stage where yeah. people are just making it up as they go, and it looks muddy. It looks bad. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Anyway, thanks, anyway. everybody. Um, anything else on June? You want to say? No, just that it's, it's awesome. If you haven't read the books, just read them. Hmm. I honestly think, yeah, top five sci-fi books, that'll be in there. Yeah. Along with um, Olive Stapleton's work and Ursula K. Le Guin. They're, like, my favourite authors. Hmm. And, I mean, it, it's just so good. And, like, there's the only person that's comparable, I think, with the eco theme. So Ursula K. Le Guin and a couple of her books. But Kim Stanley Robinson is a more recent author who just... He basically gets climate change. He just, like, shoves it down people's throats. Hmm. In, in uh, New York... 2140 he has whole sections being like 
because basically it's set in the future, and, and I just digress quickly, but where uh, New York is partially flooded um, okay. because of global warming, and yep. that then it becomes like a like Venice, so like like kind of like a waterside t- oh. town. It's quite interesting, and it follows these characters. And there's like the citizen is like a re- it, throughout. There's like a section where the citizen will just talk about it and. His scathing report on climate change is like, we all knew the reports were coming, but no one really expected that it would, you know, the floods would come this quickly. And and he just, I love the way he's just like, he's not being around the bush. He's not, he's not wasting time on metaphors. He's like fucking like, this is what could happen. And that's what powerful, good science fiction does, in my opinion, is it paints different apocalyptic situations, not just to freak us out, but so that we can do something about it. Anyway, Mm -hmm. that's why I love it. Like smart speculative fiction, I think is like the best thing. Hmm. Enough to write a PhD. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed, and you yes. are doing that. Yeah. Um, for your June work, you haven't published your... Um, it's on my program? academia page, my okay. whole honours thesis, so if people want to check it oh, out. Oh, you put it on there? Yeah. Oh, I never did that with my honours. Oh, you may as well. Um, it doesn't matter. No, read. <laughs> yeah, you put it. You put it on. Um, but I, I'm in. Hopefully, this paper will get published eventually. So the, mm. the Journal of um, Religion, Nature, and Culture, I think it's called. Okay. Yeah, hopefully within my lifetime, <laughs> I get right. published. But yeah, check out Tara's academia page Yay. for stuff. Uh, join us next week for whatever we will talk about. Yay! Yes, and Merry Christmas or Happy New Year or, or Happy, Easter. Happy Easter or Mazel Tov. Mazel, yeah, yeah. Happy Hanukkah. Yeah. Crazy Kwanzaa. Happy. Um, what are some of the? Uh, what's the Indian one? Indian festival. Da um Dali. Dali. Yeah. Oh, we're so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dali Fessa. I think there's a Dali Fessa and then there's... Um, it's not Dali, though. It's not the quite right word. I don't know. Anyway. Different. Anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. Happy thing. Happy thing. Yeah, enjoy. Bye. Bye. Bye.